Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 716 of the podcast and I'm recording this early as I will only just be back from walking in Norway as this goes out on the 2nd of October 2023, although as I record this I haven't left yet. <laughs> you can see pictures on Instagram and Facebook at Author if you'd uh, like to get a glimpse of what is probably a rainy beautiful Norwegian fjords. So in today's show, I'm talking to Jessie Quack. Now, Jessie's been on the show before talking about from big idea to book and from chaos to creativity. But in this episode, Jessie talks about adapting to life as a freelance writer and author after being injured. And she can tell you about that in the interview and her tips for managing work and her energy and the emotional side of things. Because as much as we try to plan for life, Sometimes life just happens and we have to adapt to a new situation. So Jessie talks about the importance of accessibility for various tools and websites. And I wanted to refer you back to episode 679, Content for Everyone, Accessibility for Authors with Jeff Adams. And Jeff has a book on this very important topic too. So uh, you can go back and look at that or you can always find the show notes and all the old episodes at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. Also, as this goes out, my Kickstarter launches next week, 9th of October. So if you're interested in writing the shadow, turn your inner darkness into words, you can sign up to be notified of the launch at thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book. And if you're listening in the future future, that link will take you to wherever the book is regardless. But if you want the special signed hardback edition with gold foil and a ribbon, <laughs> then you need to be part of the Kickstarter. So remember, you can leave a comment on the show notes at thecreativepen.com or on the YouTube channel. You can message me on X at thecreativepen. Uh, you can email me and I love to see pictures of where you're listening. Joanna at thecreativepen.com. It makes this more of a conversation if you do let me know what you're thinking. And also for the guests, it's always great to hear your comments. So today's show is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors and their team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help you reach new readers around the world. And I've sold books now on Kobo in like 174 countries. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculously amazing. I mean, really, the Kobo map is one of the coolest features. Kobo's author-first approach is why they built a promotions tool for you to easily and affordably market your book directly to Kobo readers. There are lots of promotional opportunities for you to keep an eye out for, from daily deals, percent off promotions and buy more, save more sales, as well as lots of genre-specific stuff. So just on that, every Around every three weeks, I go into Kobo Writing Life. I apply for a ton of different promotions, some of which I get, some of which I don't get, uh, some of which are free, some of which are paid, but the paid ones are really very reasonably priced. And uh, yeah, the promotional offerings are 
updated often so you can check back have a look see what's going on and the bigger your backlist the more opportunities there are to do different promotions and if you're uh, if you publish direct on kwl and you don't have access to the promotions tool please email the team at writinglife at kobo.com because this is a really important part of publishing on kobo absolutely for sure also, KWL has a podcast, the Kobo Writing Life podcast, available wherever you're listening to this. And they had a recent episode on accessibility tips for authors, covering accessible publishing learning network, evaluation tools, accessible social, optimizing metadata and more. Link in the show notes or just go to the KWL podcast and go back to August 2023 with the interview on accessibility tips with Wendy Reed. You can create your free account today on Kobo if you haven't already at kobo.com forward slash writing life. And Kobo remains an important uh, publisher for me, one of my wide publishing options. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my patrons and they especially support the in-between episodes on AI and other futurist topics. And also I'm doing a lot more behind the scenes with patrons. If you support the show, you get the extra monthly Q&A where I answer your questions. And also I've been doing some special videos. And if you join, you get access to those on Midjourney, on Claude 200K model. And uh, also we're, ha- we're having a meetup at 20 Books Vegas if you're going to be there. You can support the show with just a few dollars, euros, pounds, many other currencies. and uh, Or you can throw in a couple of coffees a month if you are feeling generous. Support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview with Jessie. Jessie Quack is the author of gangster, sci-fi, supernatural thrillers and non-fiction for creatives. She's also a ghostwriter and freelance marketing copywriter, and her books include From Big Idea to Book and From Chaos to Creativity. So welcome back to the show, Jessie. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's it's good to talk to you again. Now, you were last on the show in 2022. This is just over a year later. So we're going to jump straight into the topic today, which is adapting to change, even when it's outside of your control. So tell us what happened to you back in July? Yeah, so it's been kind of a wild few months. (laughs) But back in July, I was selling books at a street fair with my friend Mark. And as we were leaving the fair, the car in front of us opened fire into the street and a bullet ricocheted through the windshield and into my eye. So fortunately, we were super close to the hospital. And so Mark was able to get me there really quick. He's for a writer. He was an amazing getaway driver as well. (laughs) But since then, I have had a couple surgeries to reconstruct the eye and remove the bullet fragment. And it's been a lot of healing since then. I'm on a really good trajectory. My energy is mostly mostly back. My right eye is, I can see perfectly well out of now. That was a little touch and go for a minute. But yeah, it has been, it brought everything to a screeching halt. <laughs> we'll just say that. Yeah. And I'm, I guess on your Facebook page and your husband put a thing up and it was it's so shocking and I know obviously you're used to telling the story now and I can kind of there are people listening who are like what What, you got shot (laughs) and being in England this is not very 
usual. I mean, we read the news about America and it always seems to be a lot of shooting, but it, this is a really big deal over here. It's like, holy crap, that is just crazy. I mean, so it's a couple of months now and, and there's healing and everything, but the immediate shock and injury and trauma of this. So was it just like everything stopped in your life? Yeah, I, of course, I am always a go, go, go person. So it took me a minute to internalize that I wasn't going to be able to go, go, go. Like I had, I I do a monthly writer social at my house and that was coming up on that Tuesday. This was a Saturday. And I remember being like, oh, this is going to be a crazy story to tell everyone on Tuesday. And then my husband's like, you're not hosting a social at our house in a few days. What are you thinking? We have to cancel that. And I was like, oh, you're right. I'm going to have to cancel a lot of things. So it just, it took a while for for that to sink in. And then of course, you're a freelance writer and an author It's and your site is a necessary part of this. And I think this really freaked me out big time because I I do have some risk factor for macular degeneration. And so I, I thought a lot about what would happen if I lose my sight suddenly, because that's kind of how it how it happens. So how, how did you deal with the immediate effect of thinking, how is this going to affect my business? Yeah, well, so I have actually I've been dictating for quite a few years. And so that's a big part of my writing process now. So I was like, okay, I can keep dictating things. I was like, editing is going to be a little harder. You know, you can get your computer to read to you, but that is, it is a a lot more, it's a different skill set, I guess. I had a, a really good friend in college who was completely blind and she was also an English major. And so I was like, I know these tools are out there. Even 20 years ago, Aaron was doing all this amazing stuff. And completely able to read and write and do everything that I do for my job, but I hadn't really used them. And so going from, okay, I have one eye that can look at the screen for just long enough to try to figure out how the screen reader works and then close my eye again and listen for a minute and be like, wait, where was that? How do I edit that? So the adaptability stuff was really kind of, it was tough to access, even though I was like, well, I've been dictating, so at least I have that skill set. Yeah, so I dictated a lot of emails <laughs> mm-hmm. and texts and stuff at first, especially on my phone. I have a Mac and an iPhone, and I found that the dictation software on iOS was a lot more, it, a lot easier <laughs> to work with than the dictation software just on the Mac. So I ended up just like mostly working on my phone, which wasn't great for looking at the small screen. Of course, I bumped up all the text to put it in like old lady mode. I just turned 40 this year and I'm like, well, I guess we're doing old lady mode on the phone. (laughs) Well, that's really interesting. Okay. So a few things to come back on here. I mean, we've known each other quite a long time now, I guess, since we met over in Oregon, what's probably like a decade ago now, but you've always been calm. When I think of you, I think of you as this calm person and but I mean, was there any freaking out or were you afraid or have you been just this calm person throughout? I was, I have been, I guess, shockingly calm. Like I say shockingly, because even in, in my own mind, I'm like, I feel like I could have been a little more freaked out, <laughs> but I, I knew almost immediately what had happened and that I'd lost vision in that eye. And so my brain was 
almost immediately like, okay, well, you can't go back from that. So what's the next step? The next step is we drive to the hospital. The next step is we lay here nicely while people stitch us up. And so my brain was just like, okay, let's just next thing, next thing, taking deep breaths. I remember at one point I was asking because the like there was other the writer part of my brain that was like, oh, interesting. This is what it's like to be in a hospital. This is what an emergency room is like. And I was like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I just got shot. I don't need you going like, oh, we're cataloging details. But I was talking to one of the nurses as I was waiting to get a a CAT scan. And she, I asked her what the beeping was. I thought it was probably the heart rate, but it seemed really slow. And she's like, yeah, that's your heart rate monitor. And it's very, it's very slow. It's very calm. That's good. And I was like, oh, all that meditation I've been doing lately must be working. And I'd already told them that I was an author and had been selling books at the street fair. And she was like, well, if your book's about meditation, I'll read it because I can't believe you're it clearly just laying there so quietly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that it, it is so interesting. And I mean, I have had laser eye surgery and uh, obviously completely different, but I was lying under the machine and I'll never forget it. I was lying under the machine and you look up at a laser and and there's a smell of this sort of burning. And I, I and I wrote a story about it with a demon's eye. I, I wrote, I put that kind of in that story. But I, I kind of know that sensation of being there going with that writer half of your brain going, oh, oh, this is going to be part of a, a book someday. So, I mean, but this is the thing. You must have been in shock. I mean, you had head trauma. You've been shot. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's, that's it. Or was your husband freaking out far more, do you think? He was. So we only live about 10 minutes away from this hospital. So my friend called him as soon as he dropped me off and Rob was there almost immediately. And so I I remember just trying to tell the doctors, they're like, your husband's outside. Do you want him to come in? I was like, yes, tell him I'm okay. Make sure he knows I'm okay. Because I knew I was just covered in blood, but I also knew that I was okay. (laughs) And Mm. I felt like I was still thinking very clearly. They had already at that point, they'd done the CAT scan. And we're like, okay, the bullet stopped in your eye. It didn't go into your brain. I was like, thank God, because that could have been so much worse. But I knew I did not look like I was okay. So I kept just being like, let him know I'm fine. But of course, I couldn't see what I looked like. And my parents showed up later and they lived three hours away. So they they drove down so they could be there before my surgery the next morning. And the same thing, like they were my dad walked in the room and he was just like, do you mind if we cry? Oh, I was, <laughs> was going to say they would have burst into tears. See you hurt. Oh. Yeah. And so then later I finally saw myself in a mirror. I was like, oh yeah, I look way worse than I thought I did even. So. <laughs> and I mean, and the, we're not, I'm laughing about it in, in a kind of nervous way here. And I mean, <laughs> I know people listening are like, why, why are you joking around? This is really serious. But I mean, are you wearing like an eye patch? Do you have to wear anything specific now? Do you have like cool scars? Because we're not on video here. We're just doing audio. I mean, is it something that has changed your appearance? Yeah. So, I mean, the pirate joke started immediately. <laughs> <laughs> My my family has a long history of laughing our way through illnesses and injuries, so I I come by that honestly. Um, but I within days I had gone on Etsy and found myself the coolest leather eye patch that I could, and I've actually it's now a new hobby. I've I bought a bunch of leather working supplies and I've made myself several more like really cool eye patches. 
ultimately, so they were able to save my left eye and it kind of, it's healing up. So it does look a little more normal, but it's like the iris doesn't work anymore. So David Bowie had the the two different colored eyes, mm-hmm. but they weren't different colored. It was just that he had an eye injury and the darker one, it was just all pupil. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially what I've got going on right now. Um, so I'll be able to get theoretically like a, a shell, a prosthetic shell that they could paint to look like my other eye, or they can paint them to look like whatever you want. So as a sci-fi writer, I could have a galaxy or <laughs> a cat eye or the gold flake or all sorts of fun stuff. So well, yeah, that is it's interesting. And I mean, yeah. how, so how is that? Cause I mean, all of this is adapting, like we're talking about adapting to change. So this is, yeah, I mean, this is an alteration of a really important part of your body. So how do you feel about it? Are you going to make it a feature or is it something that you will hide? It's something that I can't really hide at this point. And at this point, because I'm so, I don't want to say I'm a public figure, but I've got readers and I have friends on the internet. And I knew immediately, it was like, well, I can't pretend this didn't happen. Otherwise, every time I see somebody for the next year or so they're going to see me and they'll be like oh my gosh why are you wearing an eye patch or what why does your eye look weird and i'm going to have to tell the story over and over so immediately i was like well i need to get out in front of this and talk about it but i also i've gone back and forth with like wearing an eye patch versus letting people see my weird eye is what i've started calling it i did post a picture on instagram finally because i was like I imagine people are seeing me with the eye patch and thinking like, oh, it's a ruined crater of monstrousness underneath that or not knowing. <laughs> and I was like, it's not actually that bad, but I look at myself without it and I've, it seems kind of sad and like makes me feel almost like a victim, which I guess I am a victim of gun violence as we were talking about a little bit in the US. That is a label that more and more of us get. And fortunately, I am one of the few that is, you know, made it through to the other side and can tell that story. But wearing an eye patch makes me feel like a badass. So that's kind of where I'm falling a little bit more on that spectrum right now. Mm. I I have now gone on your um Instagram uh and for people it's uh quack Jesse. Uh I'll put a link in the show notes. But I mean you already as I've always looked at you as someone who already looks like a badass. <laughs> I mean, as in you've always been pretty funky in terms of your hair and everything. And I'm looking at it now. I can see what you mean. I do think you do look more, you do look just super badass. This is what's so interesting. Thank you. Well, I mean, you look great, whatever. I mean, you you always have done. But I find this interesting because as writers, we self-define by what's in our mind and our brains, like so much more than our physical bodies you know what I mean it's like we we want people to read our books and if people read our books they almost know us a lot more than if they look at us and this Mm -hmm. is something I've been thinking about and it's completely not at all in your like area at all but it's I've got a white streak now in my hair because my hair's going white and I'm heading to 50 and and I've been dyeing my hair dark for so long and then there was just a day and I was like you know what I think I just have to let it be. And it was a very, it's very strange. I know it doesn't compare at all, but it was that moment of how are people going to see me now? And does that matter? I mean, does it? I don't know. It's really hard. Well, I think it is 
when your physical appearance starts to change, you do have to really reconcile it with how you see yourself and how you perceive other people seeing you, which of course we never know. We're always projecting what we think other people see. But I <clears throat> I do a monthly giveaway in my newsletter where it's normally kind of books that are on my shelf that I'm like, oh, I loved this and I want to give it away to somebody. And I always have done a selfie with the book in my newsletter and sent that out. And so the first one I did after the shooting was with me in an eye patch. And I was just like, oh my gosh, my life is divided now in between <laughs> for selfies that are old normal Jesse and new pirate mode Jesse. <laughs> it was just this weird moment of like, oh my gosh. And so I talked about that a little bit in my newsletter. And I was like, I am having some really deep feelings in regards to the selfie that I'm posting, but I'm posting it anyways. And yeah, I got a lot of people responding and saying, you look great, et cetera. Like, I love the eye patch, but I also, I, oh, I, I should tell this story. So I've been to more street fairs since this happened and been selling my books at more street fairs. And the last one that I was at, this guy came up and he was like, one of my books is called Ghost Pirate Gambit. <laughs> and he was like, well, I have to get the sci-fi pirate book. And obviously you write about pirates because you wear an eye patch. I was like, no, the eye patch is actually really new. <laughs> but <laughs> it's on brand. Um, yeah, I mean, people maybe people think it's a prop, but now it's not a prop. So, I mean, th this is so interesting. But coming back, you mentioned the iOS dictation app. Can you just talk a bit more about the importance of accessibility? Because there'll be people listening who have problems with vision or hearing. And accessibility is so important for so many people and everyone's on a, a sort of spectrum of what they need in terms of accessibility. But tell us a bit more about any other tips, like your tips for dictation or how you're managing the, the level of energy and that kind of thing. In terms of dictation, yeah, I, I really found that dictating to my phone was so much simpler. And so I, I use Evernote and I would just dictate drafts of things into Evernote and then copy them to whatever it was I was doing on my laptop if I needed to send an email or if I was working on a newsletter or something like that. I also am, I I do a lot of, before this, I guess I did a lot of, I'd go for a long walk and dictate a draft of something, whether it was fiction or a client project into my phone as just as a recorded file and then upload it through. There's a couple different programs that I've used. One is otter.ai, which is great for especially transcribing interviews or things that have multiple people because it it will like ascribe or they'll say, oh, this was so-and-so speaking. This was so-and-so speaking. And so it kind of makes a really nice transcript. And then the other one is a tool called writersvoice.ai. And it's actually just in beta testing right now. A friend of mine is is working on it. So I've been kind of using those two tools to transcribe these drafts. But yeah, as I said, the you have to edit your your dictated text because it can be all over the place sometimes. And that was the part that I, I really struggled with because I just, I couldn't look at a screen for very long. I was extremely light sensitive at first. Mm. And so I have a pair of like the blue light glasses, which helped a little bit, but, and then I would make sure I was, had all my screens were kind of yellow shifted. So at least that light was a little bit easier to look at. But I was in Scrivener having it read a draft of a story to me that was pretty funny because there were a lot of swear words in it and ridiculous things. And having kind of the woman read it to you in the her really flat voice was kind of pretty hilarious. 
Um, but I felt I found that was really helpful because I could follow along and be like, oh no, that word's wrong and stop it, go in. So those were the two main accessibility things that I was using. In terms of energy, I that had been the hardest part for me. I'm almost back up to normal, but I'm still, you know, I tire out pretty easily in the afternoons. So I was just listening to audiobooks, listening to audiobooks and taking naps and mm. <laughs> just thinking, okay, what do I, what needs to get done? What absolutely needs to get done? What is a nice to have? What is the most important thing? So a lot of it for the last two months has been like administration and kind of triaging emails. And I'm only just now kind of getting back to, all right, I got to write a story for fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting the what needs to get done and my only experience of this was when I had had COVID and there were a couple of weeks and then a couple of months where I wasn't I just didn't I couldn't do what I can normally do and it was the same it was okay if I've only got an hour what do I really have to do and is it I mean obviously as a freelance writer you have to prioritize working for other clients so have you been able to continue doing that through this? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm at a really lucky stage of my business where for years I was making my money mostly as a blogger and I had multiple clients that I was, you know, constant deadlines throughout the week. And I've slowly over the last couple of years moved to where I am ghostwriting business books for kind of thought leader and coach types. And so I only work at on one of those projects at a time. So I had just literally the day before signed a new client, he'd paid my deposit. And it was like, great, we'll set up a bunch of times next week to start the interview process. So I had to email him and be like, this is what happens. Um, <laughs> I presume he let you off the hook there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was like, I am still really excited about this project, but like, I can't start right yet. But fortunately being in the interview phase, I just was trying to get his story so I could just turn the phone on and record it and talk to him for an hour and a half or whatever. And I didn't have to do much screen staring. So I could, that, that was easier to do. So it was a really, it turned out to be really fortunate timing, but yeah, it was just like, oh my gosh, okay. Who do I need to send an email to? I need, need to talk to this person, tell him, crazy things happened. Like your project's going to be pushed back a little bit. Um, talk to, oh, I just had hired a virtual assistant like a week before because I was like, okay, I definitely need help with more things in my business. So that was also really good timing, except that you have to get a VA up to speed on everything. And I had been like, you know, she'd sent me some stuff on that Friday and I was like, great, I'll get you set up on this email account over the weekend and I'll send you these details over the weekend and all this stuff. So I had to email her too and be like, so <laughs> I'm going to need you to be really proactive for a minute. <laughs> but I think it's interesting, um, like I I get and I because one of my Clifton strengths is futurist, I, I am always playing out scenarios in my head as to what what I need to have in place for when things happen. And again, when COVID hit, actually, I mean, I could stop walk at working or if I die right now, things will carry on. I'll still make money. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of crazy <laughs> to, to think that way. And yet when these things do happen, we worry. So we've talked about dictation, a virtual assistant, you've got different streams of income, the audiobooks. If you were sort of winding back time 
to try and prepare for something like this happening or things that people need to have in place? What are things that people should even think about to kind of future proof? Because at some point we all are going to have to work less or there might be an injury or an illness or something else in the family. What is anything else that you think people should think about and have in place? I think documenting your systems and the ways that you do things. I really, really wish that I had done any of that because there were several times I was trying to do something in my newsletter program. And my husband's like, can't you have a VA now? Can't she do that? And I was like, I would need to explain that I do this, then this, then this, and this, and I should be writing it down now, but I'm not because I'm too tired. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah. So to be able to just like hand off, okay, here's how I build out a new newsletter. And then I could have dictated a draft of something and just sent her the unedited file and be like, great, please make that happen. But yeah, I I don't have any of that documented. I'm slowly working on that. We're, we are working on it together. She's great. But that would be, I think, one of my number one tips for people is if you're doing things over and over, write down all the steps because yeah, it's in your head and yeah, you are the only one doing it right now probably. But what if you need to ask your husband to send an email for you? And he's like, wait, where do I find this thing? And you're like, oh, well, it's if you go in this file, but over here on that file, which is not intuitive, it doesn't make any sense, but it's just how my brain has left it these years. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I document. I mean, I, I haven't documented mine either. So, and I've, what's so funny is that it, like you say, it's on the list, but the li- it, it always gets moved down the list because mm-hmm. I'd much rather be doing something more interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's but, not that fun. <laughs> no, exactly. I'm like, oh no, I really no, I just can't do that. I mean, even I still don't even have like a book launch checklist or like a self-publishing checklist. Like seriously. But I think I am quite chaotic. I mean, you've got this book from chaos to creativity. I think I'm creative and chaotic. <laughs> but I hey, I get things done. I mean, but y- exactly, you're you're right. I mean, when things do happen and you can't do it, that's when you need that list. So I'm sure lots of people listening haven't done that yet. But let's also talk about healthcare because obviously you're in the USA, you're a freelancer, and that's what a lot of people worry about. Now, your husband put up a GoFundMe to help with the immediate healthcare cost, and your community and your family obviously rallied around. But a lot of people, you know, you don't know what the healthcare costs are going to be, I guess, over time. So a lot of people listening are in the US. Any thoughts on that or tips, or is that just something that? everyone has to find for themselves some kind of healthcare situation. Yeah, that's the, I mean, the weird thing about the US healthcare system, I read an article recently about how GoFundMe is being used so much for healthcare. And the founder of GoFundMe was like, I really wish we weren't. I mean, I'm glad we're here as a service for people, but it was some, I'm not going to remember the number, but it was something like 70% maybe of GoFundMe's went towards healthcare. And the guy was wow. like, yeah, that's a statistic I wish was not associated with us, but I'm happy that we're here to help. But it's just, I mean, it's such a mystery. The costs are such a mystery. You go in and like, I was in one hospital and then they took me by ambulance to another hospital that had the eye care center. And I've seen some really incredible specialists who know all sorts of things about all different parts of the eye over the last few months. And you're like, I really want these people to be getting paid well. 
I have no idea what the overall cost is going to be or how much is actually going to the awesome nurses who are taking care of me. Cause you know, in, especially in the U S like nurses are so underpaid and overwhelmed. I have several friends who are, (laughs) are nurses. And it's just like, I know in the end, this is probably going to be maybe $150,000, Like in my mind, in the hospital, I was like, that could be the total amount of this. And is this person who's making my life way more comfortable right now? Is she getting a minimum wage and mm. working 80 hours? Like, where's that money going? But we have, we do have health insurance. My husband is, he has an employer that has a pretty good package. And fortunately I'm able to get on that. But yeah, I think the frustrating thing is the mystery of it all, where you just don't know where things are going to (laughs) end. You're like, what's the final bill going to be to me? How am I going to? Yeah. So it was nice to have, it is nice to have kind of the GoFundMe safety net of like, okay, that'll take care of whatever random, hopefully out-of-pocket costs that we're going to have, whatever insurance decides not to cover. Um. I've been right now going back and forth with the insurance company, like sending them documentation to prove that the procedures were medically necessary (laughs) because it was medically necessary to remove a bullet from my eye. Yeah. Yeah. You would have thought so. (laughs) You would have thought so. That seems self-explanatory, but. Oh my goodness. I mean, it is, I mean, you're used to it now. I'm sure like talking about it, but I'm, I know people listening and, and I'm just sitting here going, oh my goodness, this is just so shocking. And I mean, in a way, and it could have been a lot worse, as we were saying before we started recording. I mean, could that bullet just, what, a millimeter or two? And you'd have been dead or you'd have been severely brain damaged or that bullet could have stuck in your head. Or, I mean, do you wake up in the middle of the night having like, oh, my God, moments? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely do. And I think because because it could have been so much worse and because I still have one perfectly good eye. Well, I mean, it's not a perfectly good eye. I've been wearing glasses since I was in third grade, but Mm. (laughs) it's a perfectly serviceable eye. (laughs) I am like, it's, it's almost like, it's not like the glass is half full or half empty. It's like maybe a tiny bit splashed out of the glass. When I think about how, what it could have, what could have happened. So it's been really on that And it's been kind of easy to stay positive and think, wow, all right. I feel incredibly, incredibly lucky. I mean, yes, this was unlucky, but in the scheme of things, oof, all right. (laughs) Yeah, like a a close call. And for many people, it is a kind of clarion call to, okay, new life, gonna just rev it up and go ahead. And I mean, that's what you're doing. You are running an Author Alchemy Summit in February 2024. And just tell us a a bit about that. Like, why the hell are you doing a summit? (laughs) Where is it? And who might find it useful? Yeah. So the Author Alchemy Summit is, I'm a small conference that I'm running in Portland, Oregon, February, end of February, 2024. Essentially, I wanted to gather together a lot of smart brains in the industry and colleagues and other writers and have kind of education and conversation around how to connect with our readers, but also build connections and community 
or as part of this conference. And we talked really briefly before we got started about why am I still putting it on? <laughs> um, and I, I know a lot of people, when I reached out to them, were like, hey, this is still happening. Just wanted to let you know. I hope you're still on board to be my speakers. They were like, okay, great, because I didn't think it would once I heard the news. But to me, building community is just so important and providing space for a community to to gather and make those connections. I mean, I every good thing that has happened in my writing career has been because of people that I have met at different conferences and people that I've built relationship with over the years. So I was kind of weighing in my mind. It's like, I know I really only am going to have the time and energy for, you know, maybe one big project through the next six months. And if it is, how does it feel to me to say no to the conference, but yes to like writing the next book versus if I don't get that next book written, but I do put on the conference, there's just so much more levity and happiness and joy around the idea of putting my energy into building this community and giving back. So many people rallied around me when this happened. Like I really wanted to continue this conference where I was trying to give back to that community. And you know, the book, books will get written. They'll get written. Mm. But these relationships I just think are so important. So I mean on the landing page for the Author Alchemy Summit, you say the playbook is changing. And obviously, I mean, I've been talking a lot about this, but what do you mean by that? What do you feel is changing in the industry? I think that the industry, well, I, so I have a lot of friends that are indie and a lot of friends who are trad, and I feel like it's changing kind of in, on both sides in indie publishing, I guess the market is maturing more. It's not kind of that you can put a bunch of books out and that's what makes you successful. You have to, for better words, I guess, try harder <laughs> to make those connections with readers because the discoverability is just not as simple as it used to be. It's not a matter of putting a book into, and readers are just, I guess, inundated with more choice and social media is just noisier, less effective, more dispersed. You know, we used to all kind of go to one or two social media sites and now it's like, everybody's got their own discord that you have to get invited to, or there's 18 different new Twitter clones. And then on the traditional side of things, there's publishers that are merging and it's a lot harder for midlist authors who a lot of my friends either are, or kind of would end up being once they get their agents. It's a lot harder for them to actually make a living at writing, whereas they used to be able to. And so, I mean, I end up having a lot more conversations lately with traditionally published friends who have maybe been had three or four books out and they're like, Hey, so my publisher, like I'm getting my rights back to this and I have other stories that I want to tell in this universe and they don't want them. How does, how do you do the self-publish thing? And I'm like, yes, I would love to talk to you about that. <laughs> so I think it's always, yeah, that those are kind of the, the discoverability. You can't just write a book and expect that it will get out there and get noticed. And that hasn't, that's never really been true, I don't think, but I feel like it's becoming more and more about owning your own channels in a way, you know, your own newsletter and your direct sales and things like that, which is why the conference is focused around this question of like, how do we connect directly with our readers? 
It is a, I mean, it's a huge topic in a way because I, I feel like that it's fragmented so much. You know, when we first met, I even think that might have been before KU, before Kindle Unlimited, in the early days, there it, there was a very clear way to self-publish. There was a, only a few options for marketing. And now there are so many ways to self-publish, so many ways to market. And you have to find your way through that to what works for you, which is why it's great that you're doing this and it will be focused more on your angle of things and other people will focus on other angles. But if people come, is it for new authors? Is it for experienced authors? Who are the sort of target market for this conference? Yeah, I would say for authors who probably have a couple books out at least, or if you are newer, if you're kind of more of that marketing businessy mindset and you're looking for, okay, I'm I'm going to start off, I've got a book that I'm about to publish that I'm really thinking, how can I connect directly with my readers? We're not going to be focusing at all on kind of craft or how to finish your book or the agent hunt or any of those sorts of things that might, um, that if you're really in that category, this might not be a great fit for you. But if you are a business-minded author who is really trying to figure out, okay, I've got a book, it's either published or ready to publish, and I really, you know, I want to figure out how to build a long-term sustainable career, as opposed to how do, how am I going to make money off <laughs> my first book, um, then this would definitely be for you. Mm, fantastic. Right. So where can people find the Author Alchemy Summit and also you and everything you do online? Yeah, so dot com and jessiequack.com, J-E-S-S-I-E-K-W-A-K. Those are the two main hubs. And if you go to jessiequack.com, you'll also find links to the summit website. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Jesse. That was great. Yeah, thank you, Joanna. So I hope you found the interview with Jessie inspiring in terms of her ability to cope with such a difficult time and also helpful in terms of thinking about the inevitable changes in our own lives and just getting on with life and dealing with them when these things come. Because hopefully they won't come in that way, but they certainly come for us all at some point. So next week, I'm talking to L.A. Witt about writing faster without burning out. Yes, I'll also be launching the Kickstarter for Writing the Shadow. Turn your inner darkness into words. Go to thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book to sign up to be notified on launch. And uh, there will only be limited numbers on certain backer levels like consulting, the live shadow sessions and more. In the meantime, happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time. <laughs>